You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to talk to Ben Howell about performance marketing. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Asher. Pleasure to be here. So Ben, you and I have actually been, let's call, flyby acquainted over the <laughs> last couple of years. I mean, we've met, I was on a panel with you, you know, like over the last couple of years. And and when you came up as a, a guest, I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. He's not going to remember me, but I totally know who he is. That's funny. Yeah, there, uh, it's a small world, as we all know. Marketing and marketing tech in the, in the Valley is a lot smaller than you think it is. But it is a pleasure to work with you again, Asher. And I'm sorry that I didn't give you full coverage last time. No, thank you. All right, let's talk about performance marketing. But before we do that, can you share a little bit about how you got to where you are, please? Sure. Uh, it's been a it's been an interesting journey, and I've had um, a lot of blessings of, of really fun experience in the past. Um, I actually started in an inside sales role many moons ago, doing telephone based, you know, outsourced sales, and and from that, you know. I still feel like a lot of that experience has has permeated through my career. I still feel like that connection to understanding what a salesperson, an SDR, a BDR actually does um, is hugely valuable for a marketer. So I do feel like, you know, at the time it wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but it has worked out really effectively. Um, but I did that inside sales role for quite a while until I ended up at a company called Ariba. And at Ariba, um, it was really kind of the onset of the idea of demand generation. It was when technology was really changing the way that marketing works. You know, the data-driven side of marketing was coming to the forefront. Um, and my inside sales team that I was running for Ariba really morphed into, you know, what we now look at as SDR and BDR, where we were that, that middle part of the funnel connecting what all of the great content and activity the marketing team was doing with what sales actually needed to close deals. Um, and I really just enjoyed, you know, the, the evolution, the technology that was happening, the way that this was shifting. Uh, and it resonated with me, you know, that there's a whole other world out here that has a lot more going on than sales. Uh, I was good at sales and I enjoyed it and it was a lot of fun, but I really just found a passion for this concept of, of demand generation and marketing. So I made the switch then to move into to a DG role at Ariba. And since then, I've, I've had the pleasure of working at some large companies and some small companies, um, you know, with, with jobs that have, that have run the gamut, uh, you know, run marketing holistically for a few startups. Uh, I've done demand generation in a couple of capacities at some larger companies. Uh, and then, you know, I, I had the pleasure and the blessing of ending up at Salesforce, which was kind of one of the companies on the bucket list of if you get an opportunity, let's see how it goes. And and let's see if all the stuff they talk about around culture and, and to the, how Salesforce does business is true. It is. Um, and I got a chance to kind of move over here about four years ago to, to help kind of restructure their campaigns organization and build up centers of excellence and shared services models and to help the company grow. Uh, and it's been a great and fun and exciting journey from there. Uh, at the moment, I run 
what we call our performance marketing uh, center of excellence. So there's a, a global practice where we really understand best practices, frameworks. Um, we own vendor relationships. We own the relationship with uh, an agency that we use for, for awareness and external. Uh, and we're really helping our regions execute more effectively. Uh, and we really align you know, across the business to help from a Salesforce perspective, we've really been trying to help how that message goes to market. And, you know, we've done a great job and we've grown really well, but there's still work to be done around what our brand is, how people identify Salesforce. You know, who are we? What do we stand for? What does that mean in different regions? How do we take folks down a, a journey that's a little more specific for where they are in that in that process? Uh, and how do we compete with some of the larger organizations that are out there that have a really strong share of market and share of voice? And, and how do we do that in, in a way that still stays true to who we are? Yeah, I I totally agree with what you're saying, and I love the fact that you started in sales and then are moved to marketing because we've had multiple people on the on the show that have started in engineering and either moved to sales or marketing. But I, for the last couple of years, as I've been working with uh, folks in the valley um, and just folks and go to market, I've been a big champion of hey, if you're in sales, go do something in marketing. If you're in marketing, go do something in finance. Go, if you're in finance, go do something in biz dev. You know, have this holistic view of the business because then you can actually truly display empathy for the other functions when you understand the language that they speak, the culture that they have in their teams and the problems that they're facing. So kudos to you to, to making the jump and, uh, and appreciating the different facets of, uh, of go-to-market. Yeah, I appreciate it. And and again, like I do think, especially early in my career, it helped a tremendous amount just to have that frame of reference of, you know, what do salespeople care about? How do they do their jobs? What's important to them? You know, what motivates them on a, on a regular basis? Um, and it's, you know, I, I still lean back on it. And, and that relationship with sales from a marketing perspective is, is as important today as it ever has been. Super. All right, let's dive in. Uh, you're the first person, at least on this on this podcast this year i would say that is has a title of performance marketing <laughs> so can you define the concept and then let's talk about performance marketing back in the day and how it is different today sure uh, performance marketing to me is sort of like that term demand generation in that it's pretty amorphous you can you can spin it any way that you want um, for me it's really all of the requisite parts of marketing that are driving demand generation and are done primarily through paid channels. So, you know, if you think about earned and owned and paid, it's everything that we do that's paid. So from everything from search to content syndication, to publications, to awareness, uh, anything where you're paying for that performance to me is performance-based. And I think the key piece and the reason why I use performance in that definition is it's tied to very clear objectives. Like that's a key part of any marketing and it's a, and a massive part of performance advertising today. KPIs, ROI, um, you know, understanding the metrics that actually matter for the different phases of the funnel becomes really important. So that's where the performance comes from is it's not just marketing for marketing's sake. There is an actual output that we're trying to measure and there's an actual dollar amount that's coming in. So being able to do that is pretty effective. How it's changed, um, you know, I think... 
we can we can look at a couple of different lenses here. There's a near term and there's a long term. I think it, over the past in my career specifically, you know, marketing has slowly changed. I think there's been a consistent shift. You know, let's talk about ten years ago, a lot of the marketing that you did was was pretty what we call traditional now, where you're you're running some events, um, you're doing some publications, you're putting content out on your website, you're trying to drive people to download that content. Uh, direct mail was still a big piece of marketing mixes, which it is today. Uh, and a lot of the things that you did were it was a very well-rounded portfolio and paid and digital was a kind of small portion of it, um, but an important one. And, and in those 10 years, I'd say that we've completely flipped. Uh, and if you look at today and, you know, the COVID-19 world has exacerbated this situation, but right now digital is it. Um, you know, when you're looking to engage with your customers, when you're looking to engage with prospects, when you're looking to drive your brand and get the word out of what you do and how you do it, there really aren't any other channels aside from digital. Um, you know, people aren't consuming print publications as much as they used to. Newspapers are sort of a novelty. Um, and, and anything that really is where folks go to consume information is done on a handheld device on a laptop computer or a tablet. Um, so if you're not appearing in those areas where folks spend their time and understanding where your audience goes to learn and to, to, to do their jobs, um, you're missing out. So, you know, we've had a massive shift in the way that we, you know, if you think about a media mix, I think the media mix today is much more heavily weighted on the paid side of the house than it ever has been before. Um, and that's in no small part to, to consumer and buyer behavior and also that performance aspect. You know, there is an, a way to measure effectiveness of this that is quantifiable. Um, you know, you can argue about the, the, the nuances of it. You can argue about the, the value of an impression or the value of a display ad click. But there's still a way to measure that and to understand how many people are seeing those ads and then to extrapolate from that, is it valuable and do we continue doing it? So I think now more than ever, um, you know, performance and paid advertising is is hugely important. And it is it is probably the most vital way to deliver content, to deliver your marketing and to understand uh, the market that you're you're trying to drive in. Superb. Can you share a little bit about the building blocks of your team, because it will help the audience understand the framework for performance marketing as you see it. Sure. Um, and again, there's there's no one size fits all badge bullet, whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use for this. I, I would I would caution and advise anybody to really understand what are you trying to do? How are you trying to get there? And I think in a, a thing that I've learned over my career that I, I really focus on now is focus on the goal. What are you trying to do? And then once you understand clearly what you're trying to do, once you align on that vision, then you build the team to support that vision. If you if you don't do that, then you tend to be all over the map. Uh, at Salesforce specifically, you know that end goal was we need to align our marketing. We need to consolidate how we do a lot of, of the things that we do. We need to really get efficient. You know, we we grow pretty aggressively. We have aggressive growth goals every year. Uh, and I, I say a lot on, on meetings with customers. Unfortunately, my budget does not increase 25%. And the number of bodies that I have does not increase 20, increase 25%. But I am expected to do 25% better every year. And the only way to do that is, is really building efficiencies, building economies of scale, and understanding how to get more out of those folks. So what we've done on the paid side is really align folks into the tactics. Um, you know, and again, this is not, this doesn't work for everybody, but it's worked for us where we, we have a, a great team of practitioners who align by tactics. And by tactics, I mean, SEM, search engine marketing, paid social, content syndication, third-party email. Um, all of those paid delivery channels have a team that specializes on them. 
Uh, and those folks tend to stay in that tactic for a decent amount of time. We usually shoot for at least six months, if not 12 months. That helps you build up domain expertise. That helps you build strong relationships with the vendors. That helps you understand the impact of that tactic. Uh, and it also helps you understand you know, how those tactics are interrelated and how they work together. So we have kind of a combination of tactic-based teams who own those individual outputs. And then at the leadership level of those teams, there's a ton of cross-functional alignment that happens where they're given the chance to be strategic partners to the business. Um, so as an example, we have a lot of cloud and product and industry teams. And someone on my team who might own a singular tactic might be the cloud owner for our sales cloud business, as an example. So they'll work with the sales cloud team on what's your go-to-market plan, what is the media mix we need to support it, what is your budget, what is your goal for the year, and they'll come back and make a suggestion of what the digital plan looks like to support it. And then they'll work across our own internal team to help make that happen. So they might not be the subject matter expert in paid social, but they sit across the aisle in, a, in an old world or they sit across the Zoom call in the new world from their partner on the paid social side of the house. So we really work very closely together to understand the nuances of each other's tactics and specialty. Um, and we use that as a way to kind of present as a team out to the business that we have a, a tremendous amount of capabilities. Superb. And in what you just said right there, where the, let's call it the cloud marketer sits, uh, talks with the cloud team or let's say the field teams, right? Is and it's always a question of like budget, right? Like, does the cloud marketer own the budget, or does the sales team own the budget, or do you have shared budgets? Like, like how how do people like deliberate on the on the marketing mix budget? I guess oh, that's a great question. You know, I, uh, and again, Salesforce is not we don't we don't own the market on this in any way, shape, or form. Um, but we have a balanced approach. So there's there's kind of three inputs to budgets at the moment. Uh, my team owns. One on our own, we have a consolidated budget that we use to drive the business as a whole. I, I use, I'd say it's the, the rising tide that lifts all boats, meaning we allocate that budget where we're going to maximize our ROI. We do our best to manage that across all of the different clouds and business units, but ultimately we have a very large pipeline and ACV number that we need to contribute to. And we make sure that budget is driving towards that as its primary goal. Uh, on the other hand, you have the line of business and cloud product marketing teams who have their own budgets and they'll come to us as an internal agency and say, I want to run a campaign to do something specific, or I have a new product launch that I need to get to market, or I have a region that I want to support a little more effectively. Uh, and they'll allocate dollars to do specific projects that, that help their business and are a little more tactical. Um, but their strategy is longer term and they have their own budget to help make that happen. Sometimes they'll go outside and look for, you know, specialized third party publications or specialized vendors and agencies that can really drill into the personas and the markets that they need help with. Um, and a lot of times they'll come inside to, to my team so that we can help perform on that as well. And then the third bucket of that is we do have a what you would call a field marketing organization, a traditional field marketing team, which is pretty large, and they are aligned directly to sales. They have a budget on their own, and that budget is really focused on quarterly execution, short-term sales plays, um, pipeline generation, and ACV. And they're not necessarily focused on particular products or focused on particular industries. They're focused on how do I help sales hit their numbers? So what they'll typically do is take those dollars and either reinforce a campaign that's delivering good value. So take one of those line of business campaigns. Maybe maybe one of our clouds has a campaign that they've been running that's generating really strong ROI for a particular sales segment. Now that field marketing team can say, hey, if I add some dollars onto this campaign, can we amplify it? 
can I can I double the output by doubling the do- the dollars in? So that's one mechanism that they're able to pull. The other is they can look to do short term dedicated buys through my team directly. So maybe there's ABM or a one to few uh, set of accounts or a very high li- high high lift target accounts. Re-record that one. Uh, maybe there's a, a really strong list of accounts that they want to target and go after to build some awareness and some education and some engagement with the sales team. And they can come to us and fund that separately. So there's kind of this Venn diagram of the budget that I control, the budget that comes from our clouds and industries and the budget that comes from the field marketing teams. And those all work together to drive the business for those groups independently. So our, our cloud teams will have a pipeline target, which is you know dependent on and part of the field marketing team and the field marketing team will have a pipeline and ACV target, which is on their own, but also encompasses all of the other groups. So there's a lot of interdependency that we need to work together. Superb. And, and, and I, I love the fact that uh, there's a special budget just for field marketing because the sales teams always like at some level, they always feel that their voice is not heard. Right, like no matter how much work you do for them, <laughs> and, and 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 they're always like, "Well, could I have more? Could I have this? Could I do that?" And then then you know there'll be the top sales rep that'll have an idea, and all that person is looking to do is just for somebody to just work on that idea. It may fail, but what if it actually does great things, right? Yeah. And, and and I'm I'm pretty sure, or like I'm assuming that that field marketing team can actually support that person so that they're always on a high because you've got to keep the salespeople on a high so that they can be the most effective in their accounts. No, you're, you're totally right. And that honestly is the reason that we created those teams. And that was part of the project that I got to take part in when I, when I came over to Salesforce was, you know, the feedback we were getting was that marketing was kind of doing what marketing wanted to do. Uh, and sales was just along for the ride or sort of, you know, told this is what you're going to get and, and it better work for you. And um, so, the, I mean, a big piece of that was shifting that up and saying, hey, we, you know, we need to have skin in the game here. We need to, you know, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use. I feel like they're often too, too military, but we're, we're in the trenches with the sales team. And you're actually, you're hundred percent right. That's a big part of it is we need to do two things, you know, specifically. One is we need to translate all of the stuff that's marketing that marketing is doing back to sales. So they understand there's a heck of a lot going on and here's what it looks like and here's what it's doing and here's how it's going to impact you so that, you know, you get this dialogue of yes, an awareness campaign is running and no, it's not going to generate a lead for you specifically directly, but your companies are seeing these ads, your companies are being exposed to this messaging and it's helpful. Uh, And then the second part, which is probably more important and to your input, is sales can bubble things up that are important to them. And now you've got a marketing team who's ready to support that. So there is a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of short-term stuff that we do on a quarterly basis that is really directly aligned to sales. And many times that'll be supporting a play, supporting a particular product, uh, really delivering against a a PTB, a propensity to buy list. Uh, And sometimes it's vanity stuff, like you're mentioning, you know, sometimes there's, there's a a need and and a want for some very large accounts in a particular region to get exposure to us. And that could be sponsoring a a skybox or a billboard outside of an office or, you know, some localized out of home, which normally isn't the best investment. But when you're, when you're aligned with sales and they feel like it's valuable and it's something that's going to help them close deals, then the value may be subjective, but it's still, it's still there. Superb. I, I love the fact that you're, you're doing that. Now, before we go into lessons lear- learned, as you were telling me about like how you structured your team, right? Like one thing comes to my mind where the center of excellence concept, you know, almost always is 
is, I would say, uh, taken as this center of control. And then in great companies, it moves to this journey of center of empowerment, right? And I'm working with a couple of large companies where they're actually going through this uh, phase right now. Uh, and and did you guys experience that, or do you experience that from time to time when you guys make your reorgs and stuff? Like, we'd love to hear some thoughts on just the the center of excellence rather than being a center of control, being a center of empowerment. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And on, and to be honest, we're going through that motion right now. You know, the concept of centers of excellence has been one that I've been a fan of, and we've been pushing for a while. Uh, and and our CMO Stephanie made a, a very concerted effort along the marketing leadership team to say, hey, we need to. We need to figure out how to really scale marketing more effectively. Uh, to your point, we do reorganize pretty regularly, um, usually every six months. Those are mostly relatively small, um, but we have done a, re- a pretty large one here where we're acknowledging the fact that we need to be thinking more globally. We need to be considering how the world has changed and how it will continue to change. Um, and the idea of those centers of excellence is one that we're really trying to define effectively. That you know, there's a, a portion of it that's that's influence based, meaning. You know, if you have best practices and you're and you're building best practices, that doesn't necessarily mean you can enforce somebody following those best practices. You're just coming in and saying, hey, this is how we would suggest doing this campaign to get the best possible result. Um, but the folks on the ground can make the decision if they want to do that or not. So it's kind of this fun balance. You know, when you talk about governance, I think governance is a great way to say that there's there's portions of what the COE controls, even though that's not a word I tend to want to use. But the idea there is to add governance and and efficiency. So if you think about campaign structure and taxonomies or naming conventions, you know, they're not very sexy things. Um, But centralizing that and making that something that's handled by a COE helps the teams on the ground not have to deal with some of that administrative stuff, but has immense value to the business around reporting. The other is vendor relationships. You know, there's a tremendous amount of, of time that you spend managing vendor relationships. And if you can offload that from the regions, um, it gives you a couple of things that are really powerful. One is, you know, you've got a stronger bargaining position because you're you're controlling the overall corporate spend. Two is you can really push those vendors for innovation and being partners, which a lot of our larger suppliers are really true partners to us. Um, and, and three is you can then say to the regions, like, here is the a la carte menu of options that we have through the supplier that are that we're testing or we have tested or that are that are working really well. Let's talk about how to implement some of those in your region. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to move to a spot where there are large portions of what marketing does that we do through the COE, you know, not necessarily activations on the ground, um, but campaign management, audience management, you know, those vendor relationships, the, the kind of flow and the framework for how all of these campaigns are set up uh, is hugely powerful. And, and then again, you know, as we, as we continue to grow, the need for us to be able to help the regions execute is coming to the forefront. So there's a component of this to say, what of these, you know, different marketing mixes can we effectively run and, and run alongside the regions so that they have strategic oversight, control and input, but the activation, the work, the, the hit the ground running type of stuff is done through the COE. Um, so I think it's a constantly evolving idea, uh, which makes it fun and makes it interesting. But, you know, I, I love the fact that our leadership has said, we need to figure this out. We need to restructure the way that marketing works. And we need to, you know, if you think about it from a, a quid pro quo perspective, like some of the regional teams and the field marketing teams and the cloud teams are going to have to give up things that they feel they should own in order that those things now benefit the group as a whole. 
Um, and that's part of what we're working through now is can we, can we up-level some of the activities that we do in certain areas so that they benefit everyone uh, and, and avoid a, those kind of silos of, of specialization? Very interesting. I mean, we're going to have to do a podcast on just a change management of that a little bit later in the year. You know? yeah, we, because there's we, so much goodness there. We <laughs> joke at Salesforce that, that change is a constant for us. So change management doesn't exist. It's just part of your job. <laughs> like it's just, it, like it's, it's happening and figure it out. And, but yeah. So in a positive way, you have 2020 happening all over the place, all, all the time at Salesforce. Huh? <laughs> it has never been quite as exciting and interesting as it has been this year. But yes, you know, we, we, we do move things around a lot. Um, it's a fun way to, you know, as you bring new people on board, um, you know, it's kind of like one of those urban legends. You, you tell them about it ahead of time, like, hey, just be prepared. Every six months or so, we're going to shake things up and we're going to realign some folks and move some folks around. That may impact you, but invariably it impacts you in a positive way. And it'll get you introduced to new parts of the business. It'll get you introduced to new po- folks in marketing, but don't get complacent. Like don't get too comfortable. Stay, stay agile, stay frosty, be ready to adapt and, and move because it is going to happen. And invariably it's like, I mean, when you're telling your kids something that they don't really get, um, they say, sure, sure. That sounds great. And then six months later, they're like, holy crud, what just happened? They're like, well, I kind of tried to warn you. So here we go. Let's talk through it. Super. All right. So let, let's, quickly talk about the change that you've experienced this year because in the pre-interview you talked about your journey and how you were trying to convince uh, the leaders at Salesforce to think about marketing in a different way and then whatever has happened in the last six seven months really allowed you to then bring that to the front lines uh, or like upstream that initiative so share a little bit about like what what you've experienced and uh, and let's have let, let's uh, see if the audience appreciates it yeah, sure. And, and just a caveat, I've been part of that process. I'd love to take credit for it, but I certainly cannot. Um, you know, Stephanie, our CMO, has been pushing for this for a long time. She calls it the content revolution. Uh, and a lot of the folks internally have been have been really advocating for this for a while. The change is fundamentally that, you know, we've been we've been semi-traditional in the way that we market for a long time in that we're really trying to drive people to our website and put a form in front of them to tell us who they are and then have our SDR team call them and try to qualify and close the deal. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But we also have been really trying to acknowledge that that is not the most efficient way to do this. You know, that, you know, again, think I always try to make this a personal thing. Like if you think about how you buy anything, not just technology or solutions that benefit your business. No one, for the most part, goes online and makes the decision instantaneously. You know, there's usually a little bit of, I'm going to compare a few products. I'm going to go to Amazon or I'm going to go to Home Depot. Or I'm going to look at all sorts of different things. You don't buy you don't buy the first lawnmower that pops up when you do a search on lawnmowers. You take a look at what all the different options are and eventually you make a buying decision. Um, we've been trying to kind of adopt that internally to say, hey, you know, we're getting a lot of folks to come in and fill out leads and and convert, which is awesome. That means there's general interest. But let's talk about all the people that don't. Um, you know, there's a vast majority of folks who drop on the salesforce.com website who can't find the information they're looking for, or they find an article that they want to check out and they're forced to fill out a form. Can we really move to the new world of let's put this information out there, let's people have access to it, let them digest what they want to digest and move around semi-freely? Um, and let's introduce a value exchange or introduce other ways for us to understand who they are and what they do. Um, you know, but it's a big shift. It's a paradigm shift. And, you know, a big part of that is the sales organization and, and talking to sales about how that's going to look differently. Uh, I think the fundamental piece is your lead counts are going to decrease. 
but your conversions are going to go way up. Meaning somebody who's filled out a form today, it's not their first step into the Salesforce world. They didn't get a, you know, they didn't do a search and get landed, they dropped on a lander with a CTA and they filled out the form. Um, that may have happened, but more often than not, it's someone who saw a display ad uh, and, and then followed a paid social post and then came to our website and read some content and then came back three days later and they wanted to access an analyst report that was related to them. And then they put their information in. So now when that SDR calls that person, we want to make sure that they see, hey, Sally's done all of these different steps before she got to you. There's intrinsic benefit in the fact that she is now showing you that she is interested, that she has been informed on who we are and what we do. And she's made that decision that she wants to have somebody reach out to her because effectively that's what you're doing when you fill out a form. Um, so the, the pitch there back to sales was you will see a lot less leads, but the leads that you do see are going to convert much higher. And if we do this right, you should see a higher average order value as well. Like you're your overall value to, of sale will go up because you're getting people who are coming in and you're not trying to sell them a point solution in a one-shot deal. You're, you're talking about solution selling. You're talking about business benefit. You're talking about higher level stuff. Um, and then if you bring that up the funnel and you start to consider all of the different tactics, you know that still works really well in the SMB space and the smaller mid-sized business space. But if you're talking about enterprise organizations, you know, that buying process is completely different. And that's where this content revolution we were really trying to push. Like, hey, if we're doing ABM and we're doing propensity to buy and we're doing AI-driven insights, we need to give content a chance to really resonate with these folks. We need to, to understand what are we putting in front of organizations we want to do business with or we want to expand our footprint. And we need to capture that information anecdotally and, and subjectively so that we know it's a better sales motion because they've consumed all of this content. So to answer your, that was a long answer to your question. Um, we've been doing that in a phased approach. We've been slowly introducing it. We've been removing the gates from some content. We've been adding additional content. We've been putting content repositories in place, and we've been seeing some really strong uplift uh, in engagement and conversion. And you know, all of the leading indicators were really positive. Um, and then March happened, and I can I can remember it very clearly. On on March twentieth, you know, we we made the decision to turn off all of our paid advertising. Uh, and we shut everything down because COVID was hitting and it was hitting hard and people just weren't in a spot where buying software was at the top of their mind. Um, so we made a conscious decision as an organization uh, at the leadership level from Mark all the way down that we need to come back to market in a very different way. We need to come back to market with an altruistic approach. Like what are our values? How can we help? Are there things that we can be doing to help both our customers and you know the world in general, as 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 cheesy as that sounds, um, by giving them content and information that's helpful, um, and we use that as the as a moment to make that pivot happen completely. Um, so we came back online, you know, about twenty four hours later, and we really started pushing this leading through change content, which I, hopefully a lot of you have seen, um, where we were using customer stories and using kind of beneficial anecdotal feedback from customers in other areas of what they've been doing to help with the pandemic, what they've been doing to help people get back to work safely, what they've been doing to get PPE in the hands of folks who need it. Um, and none of it was put out there with an expectation to sell Salesforce software. I mean, again, you know, like we're not, we're not completely in the, in the charity business. Um, but that was the edict was like, Hey, let's get this stuff out there. Let's shift our focus. Let's change the way that we approach the market. Let's put things out there that people want to understand and read because it's helpful. It's humble. 
and it resonates with where we are today. And if we can capture some information and over time, we can use that as a way to market to these companies more effectively, great. But let's not make that the primary goal. The primary goal is we're in a unique situation, unprecedented times, quote unquote. uh, And let's Let's put our values at the forefront. Let's really lean into the fact that we are, you know, we are a company that believes in trust and believes in communication and believes in equality and believes in, you know, that business can be a platform for more than just generating revenue. Uh, and we we fundamentally made that change and it's still continuing to go now. So that was the, the chance for us to say, okay, we are going to put a heck of a lot of content out that we do not expect people to give us a form on. We're going to put a heck of a lot of content out that does not directly relate to selling software um, and can we effectively figure out how to use that as a way to generate business and to move our, our company in a, in a positive direction? And what sort of results have you seen? Well, we, we blew out our Q2. Like we literally crushed and annihilated Q2 beyond our wildest expectations. I'm not saying it's because of that, but I'm not saying it's in spite of that either. Um, so I think... You know, the big shift was really pushing this concept of relating to our customers and relating to our prospects at a fundamental level. You know, we used to sell to them. We used to market to them. We used to, you know, push messaging to them. And this was really a fundamental shift to say, we're now working together. We're now listening to you. We're now in, you know, in this with you. We're now trying to figure out how to get you to the next level together. Um, and our sales team, and I'll give full credit to our sales team, they did an amazing and massive pivot um, where they really stopped kind of doing their traditional um, motions. And it was, you know, the edict from from leadership, from Mark and from, from Gavin directly was this idea of a million conversations. We need to have a million conversations with our customers. And those conversations are not about us coming in and trying to sell a product. Those conversations are, Talk to me about where you are. What's going on with your business? What's important to you today? How are you adapting to the world? What's your plan for reopening? Um, and really building a relationship to say, we're here to help. Um, you know, and again, like I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this a, a charity case, but there were many instances where that help was, let's defer your payments for a while, or let's give you access to software that can help you do the things you need to do and not worry about what we're going to charge you for that. Let's get our SEs and our our engineers on staff to help you get things implemented and not charge you for it because you need, you need that help. Um, And that whole team made a massive pivot to this, you know, this new world of we're in it together and let's figure out how to help folks. Um, and I think our, our results are a direct impact to that. And, you know, you asked this question when we were talking about setting this up, Asher, and I think it's a really appropriate one. We've seen, I see, and I think all of us have seen this really massive fundamental shift in the way that people buy today, even over this past six months. And there's a lot of statistics out there that, that are helping support it. And we're starting to see more of it coming in. Um, but what's been encouraging is that people at companies of all sizes are much more inclined to buy from someone that they trust, that they feel like their values are aligned, and that they feel like stands for something more than just business. And that's where we've tried to make sure we fit. Um, so again, you know, like we may not be the cheapest option. Like when you're looking at business solutions and you're looking at CRM, there's probably cheaper options out there. Um, and we may not have all the features and functionality that you were looking for when you were actually doing your POC and trying to figure out what, what solution you need to solve. But ultimately, if you feel like we align with your values as a business, if you trust us, if you feel like we're here as a partner and you feel like we're here for the long haul to help you do what you need to do to be successful, 
it's worth it to spend a few extra dollars to get that peace of mind and to get that partnership and to get, you know, more than just the cheapest possible option. Uh, and I think that has been the biggest shift that we've seen here is that values matter and what a company stands for matters and that business decisions are no longer made just solely on who's got the lowest bid. I mean, there still are many that, that happen that way. And if we lose those, that's okay. Um, but I think we're winning a lot of deals that a year ago we wouldn't have because when it comes down to it, our executive team will sit down with that company's executive team and we will talk about what are we doing to help the world be a better place? What are we doing to help your company be successful? And if you think that we can do that together, then we're, we would love to make that journey happen. Superb. You know, normally at this point in time in the podcast, I say, hey, like, how can somebody action some of the stuff that you're talking about, but you share so much goodness because there's nuggets in every piece of the, from the performance marketing definition to the framework, to the COE, to the distribution of budgets, to the, how do you make this radical shift around like bottom of funnel to top of funnel to maybe like hidden funnel uh, uh, messaging, you know, like, I mean, the, people can extract some stuff from, from here. So, oh, great. so let's, let's, let's move to some of the fun part of this, uh, this podcast, um, we always ask people because everybody that comes on as a guest shapes this podcast to what it's becoming, right? And uh, and so so and you've graciously shared a lot of insight with with us. But who would be two other people that you would recommend that we bring onto the podcast as guests? That's a good question. Um, you know, again, I think my answer today is probably going to be dr drastically different than what it had been before. Um, you know, there's, there's the world is just so much different, uh, than it, than it has been in the past. There's so many more things happening out there. Um, than I'd seen before. I'm going to throw one person out. Who's a, who's a friend of mine and has been a great help for us in the past. There's a guy named Jay Bowden at Google, um, who, you know, was, was part of our account team at Google when in the past, he's now on a different side. I think he's in, in home and consumer services over there, but he's been putting out a lot of really interesting content related to personal consumption of what people are paying attention to of how, you know, the connection to me has been now that we're all at home uh, and we're not in the office, like the behaviors as humans as is drastically different. And how do you understand how human behavior is impacting, you know, folks? So like I'm a, I'm a dad and I'm a husband and I'm also working from home. Um, but for the first few hours of my day, there's not anything really happening related to work, but I'm still engaging in digital, you know, footprints. I'm, I'm talking to Alexa. I'm talking to Google home. I'm, I'm going on my laptop. I'm going on my iPad. Um, and Jay's put out a lot of really interesting content and has a really cool perspective on how the world has changed in that sense. Like how does the home behavior actually uh, become so much more important today? So I think that's a huge one. Um, the second is, you know, we um, we use a, a lot of different technologies at Salesforce. And one that's been really kind of transformational for us over the past couple of years has been around intent. Um, and I really, you know, in, intent is, a, is an interesting one for us to leverage. And we've, we've done a lot of work with a few key vendors out there. Um, but I do think there's some folks... Um, that I would recommend talking to on the intent side of the house. I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to give the names of the organizations because I feel like that's a, a, a pushing their business. But I think intent has really shaped a lot of how we do business. And I would love to get somebody on who's at the forefront of what intent looks like and how some of these companies are, are leveraging that technology and helping us make decisions at a marketing level around you know what folks are doing online. 
Perfect. We're going to have to take that one offline and then okay. surprise the audience with it. Okay. <laughs> That's great. All right. And then, you know, as we come to the closure of this pod- podcast, uh, the we always ask people, because you just don't know how things go viral, what if they were to condense this podcast into a hashtag, what would their hashtag be? <laughs> and so what would your hashtag be, Ben? You know, I struggled with this one. I have to be honest. I went back and forth. I still don't have an answer that I feel good about. Um, you know, one was, you know, hashtag change is constant. Uh, another was, you know, hashtag don't get too comfortable. Uh, and But I think the one I landed on for, for this is, you know, right now it's the hashtag being, you know, sell your values. That's kind of where we're at now. Sell, sell your values. Um, as an organization, as a company of any size, you have to have a point of view on who you are, what you stand for, and what that means. And you need to double down on it. And now is the time to, to lead with that. Uh, and again, like the conversation we we're having a second ago, I think you're starting to see some separation here. And I'm not going to I'm not going to point out the obvious, but there are some organizations that we're all paying attention to where those values might not necessarily align with the rest of us. Um, and I think that's important for us to acknowledge is that you have to have a point of view and that you should lead with those values and you should make those the forefront um, and and be upfront with those. Uh, of here's who we are. Here's what we stand for. And here's why uh, your customers will appreciate it. Your prospects will appreciate it and it will help define who you are. Like when I think about our awareness strategy as it sits today, um, that's at the top of the, of the messaging pyramid for us is what do we stand for? Um, and we want all of the messaging that we put out there, especially in markets where our brand isn't as well known, to lead with what do we stand for? And that that is not how marketing was done 10 years ago. 10 years ago, your awareness, well, folks didn't do awareness in that sense, but you pushed my solution and my products. Here's what my product is. Here's what my product does. Here's my you know cost benefit analysis and my ROI calculator. And you should buy us because we're the cheapest and the best. Um, and it's really interesting that to me that today for a company as large as Salesforce, we are saying products are important and we want products to permeate everything that we do. But ultimately, we want folks to know that we we have a set of values that we believe in. We have leadership that has you know, a moral compass and that we believe in it and that we're going to stick to it. And that we've made, you know, even over the past six months or so, we've made some significant uh, and impactful changes in the way that we go to market and the way that we treat our, our customers and, and the world that that aligns with those values. Yeah, I'll I'll speak transparently. Like even at Demand Matrix, like the company that's actually sponsoring this podcast, we're actually asking ourselves, like, who are we? But we were a lot earlier in our journey and our evolution, right? And it's and all of this has actually perfectly positioned the conversation of like, who are we as a business? Like, great, like the technology and stuff like that. But who are we as a company? And can we yeah. really articulate that? And and it can't be just words on paper. It's gotta go like deeper into the narrative of the company and like how people live their lives and like the the behaviors that we're seeing and stuff. And it's a complex exercise. It's not just like, Hey guys, here's a memo. It's a, Hey, let's be deliberate. And if we are, let's, pick a few things and if we're not doing them let's not say that we do we are that right but if you're saying we're going to do that then let's actually just do it right and so uh, but it's a very deliberate move and it's a you know it's a valuable and useful exercise for you and for the rest of the folks at at demand matrix to kind of get inside your you know four walls sit down and start talking about it like what is important to us what do we stand for what are the things that we can all align on uh, as our collective ethos It, it it helps unify you together you know we have 
we have this thing called a V2 mom um, that Mark has pushed. It's, you know, it's, it's how we kind of set up our annual plans and how we adapt uh, to all these changes as they happen. But ultimately it's, it's vision values, methods, obstacles, and measurement. That's the V2 mom, but the vision and the values are the first thing. So what, what is my vision for the year? What are the values that I'm going to reinforce to achieve that vision? And that's, I mean, I think that kind of defines how Salesforce is approaching this right away. It's not about the output. It's not about the methods. It's not about the the metrics you're going to use. You know, what is my vision and what are the values that I'm going to reinforce to get there are the first two things that we do in our planning process for every single person at the company. Fantastic. Well, man, this has been phenomenal, you know, and uh, our normal podcast is about 20 minutes, but there were so much amazing things there. We may break this up into two, but thank you so much for <laughs> sure. being gracious with your time and just elaborating things and articulating them so that people can like take this away and think about it and then think about if they're going to action it and then purposely move to something, right? And uh, not just think of this as thought leadership. Absolutely. I'm happy to uh, thank you for the, the feedback and the praise. I certainly appreciate it. Don't think I deserve it, but I'm glad it was beneficial. Terrific. All right. Last question. If people want to get in touch with you once we launch this podcast, what would be the most effective way for them to do that? That is a good question. Um, I'm a little I'm a little worried about the my ability to respond in a timely fashion. So I would say um, LinkedIn is always good. You know, hit me with a message on LinkedIn, ask to connect. Um, just a little bit of general advice for folks out there like if you ask me to connect, make sure that you add a note and give me an explanation of why and what you're looking to do. That is the only types of invitations I accept at this point. Um, and then you've, you're welcome to reach out to me uh, through my Salesforce email as well. It's ben.howell at salesforce.com. I'll take those and, and answer them as best I can. All right, Ben. Thank you so much sure. for joining us and good luck in your journey. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.